seems to be said that the difference between a conspiracy theory and fact was about six months. And um, I remember back in the early 2000s reading about economic, potential economic collapse. And this was on, on the mainstream media. This is in the um, articles by non-mainstream economists the Austrian group who were doing a lot of work in this and they said it's almost inevitable that there's going to be some kind of an economic collapse and there were reports of um, two organisations in America called Fannie Mae and uh, Freddie Mac I think they are who are quasi-government organisations dealing with loans and the reports were that these were going bust and this was the precursor to some kind of economic uh, instability. At the same time, in the mainstream media, this either wasn't reported, or if it was, I remember being reported almost as a conspiracy theory, and people were laughing at it. And then, of course, you know, we started to see reports even on mainstream saying that, well, maybe the economy was in a bit of trouble, and so on. And then we hit the what's called the global financial crisis, uh, which appeared to be something that was uh, simply resolved and we got out of it and then everything went back to normal and the stock market went up and everything's very happy again. Now, I want to talk about something called fiat currency. Now, fiat currency is currency that's not based on gold or silver or something tangible. And uh, there's a lot of uh, articles about this, but the general essence is the same. And if we go back to about the 10th or 11th century, it used to be the case in, in Europe that currency was based on uh, primarily gold. And the people who had the gold were usually Jewish. And this isn't anti-Semitism. I'm from a Jewish background myself. It was simply a fact. And um, somebody came up with the idea that instead of transferring gold and carrying it around, which is very heavy and very awkward, the gold would be deposited in a safe storage place and the storage place would issue a, a bond, a, a reserve note. And uh, in England, for instance, a pound of gold was, uh, there was a reserve note for one pound of gold. It was a pound note. And instead of transferring pounds of gold to people, this is for large transactions, for smaller transactions they could use gold coins, uh, they would simply transfer these pound notes and if the receiver wanted, they could go back to the, uh, the place where the gold is stored and actually get their pound, pound back. And until about ooh, 1960s, I think, on English pound notes, it used to say, uh, I promised to pay the bearer on demand the sum of one pound. And this was countersigned by the um, chairman of the Bank of England. Now, somebody got the wonderful idea that well, actually nobody ever went back and, and retrieved, retrieved their gold because there was no point. You could just as easily use these pound notes, these reserve notes. And they were very intricately designed, you know, so to stop forgeries and so on. And um, somebody got the wonderful idea that, well, if nobody ever goes back and retrieves the money, why don't we issue more notes? And, um, and if somebody does want to retrieve the money, well, we give them a bit of it. We've got enough there that we could give somebody their, you know, their odd pound of gold if they wanted it. And nobody's ever going to discover that we actually don't have all the reserves that we claim to have. 
the was the the places where the gold was stored were actually had a license to print money. Now, if you think this is highly unethical, you might want to look up something called fractional reserve banking. And fractional reserve banking is in incorporated into the um, currency systems of most Western currencies. And it says that a bank only needs to have 10 or maybe 12% of its reserves in actual wealth. And the rest of it can all be done on promissory notes and um, uh, nowadays credit cards and things like this. They have literally a license to print money. Now, if you go to any city, all the big buildings, the biggest buildings, are invariably of banks and insurance companies um, because that's where the wealth is generated. Um, the bank only needs to have 10% reserves. They can give out money for the rest of it, so they're literally producing money there and so on. Now, this, of course, gives rise to inflation. If you create money, the money over time loses its value. So this is why inflation is built into the system. And in America in the 19... Well, it started in the 1930s, I think, where gold became illegal to own gold. And in the 1970s, I think it was Richard Nixon, actually took America off the gold standard. So they didn't need to have the gold to back up their currency at all. That was the rise of fractional reserve banking in the West. The, it's commonly said that in America in the 1930s, where they had a huge depression. And of course, the depression is when the money supply stops flowing. Money is called currency because it's, it has to be current. It has to have, be flowing. It's like a river. If a river doesn't flow, it's not a river. It's a lake. And it's stagnant. And of course, the currency stagnates you get inflation so to get it moving they came up with the idea roosevelt's new deal was that the government was going to pay people to do big work projects and this was going to get the currency moving the hoover dam was one of these projects in england they um, built verilanium park in st albans and this was built on the same principle as unemployed people who were given money the the idea, of course, the point is that the government didn't actually have that money. That's why they had to come off or restrict the flow of gold before they could do this. Because the government didn't actually have that money. They were printing it. And they were giving out the money they didn't have. Now, this gives rise, as I say, to inflation. But it also gives rise to a, a collapse. And the collapse can take two forms. It can take the form of massive... Um, um, you know, of a massive depression. Or it can take the form of hyperinflation. People lose trust in the value of money. And because they don't trust, trust the money, they want to get rid of it as soon as they can. So the money goes down and down in value. People just try and offload money to buy things. They want to replace the money with goods as soon as they can. And they play inflated uh, prices for it because they just want to get rid of it. And this is what happened in Germany in the 1930s. And of course, in many countries, uh, printing money was seen by governments as a way out of a dilemma. They could print the money, give it, use it to pay 
their high-level employees. And then this would trickle down until by the time it got down to the average person at the bottom of the spending bar, it was almost worthless. So they had to add an extra zero to the money until you got hyperinflation. This was happening in Zimbabwe um, and in Germany and there's other places in the world where even now in Sri Lanka, you know, it said that you need a wheelbarrow to move, you know, to buy things because of, of inflation. Happened in um, Venezuela. Similar reason. The interesting thing is, is that um, left-wing governments, of course, love factional reserve banking because it means that the government can give out its largesse to people in the form of welfare. And um, this appears to be a very good solution to, you know, the old-fashioned things of having to do hard work and, or, you know, and all that. They could reject those moralities simply by having the government hand people money. But, you know, for many people on the right wing, it served a very good purpose. You know, somebody said that America could never have gone into the Vietnam War or any of the wars it's been into since the Second World War without fractional reserve banking because they wouldn't have been able to afford it if they had to front up with the gold for the amount of money it needed. As an aside, during the Second World War, America uh, instituted Lend-Lease. And Lend-Lease basically said that the British, who owned the vast majority of wealth at the, the, at the beginning of the war, in the form of gold, had to ship their gold across the Atlantic to America in return for American help and American arms. Now, this isn't uh, brought up in the American, by the Hollywood movies, who would tell you how, what a wonderful job the Americans did in the Second World War. That basically the, a lot of this was a scheme designed to get Britain to lose its influence. It was by far the largest, biggest influence economically uh, in the world and to usurp it by simply taking the gold and putting it into Fort Knox in America. And America afterwards, of course, became the predominant um, currency. So after the GFT, there were articles and even books about how we had overthrown the natural order of things and the boom and bust cycle and so on. And the stock market went into overdrive and they were predicting the stock market going up 10, 20, 100 times even. We were all going to be multimillionaires and we had nothing to worry about because we discovered the secret. And the secret was, so they told us, quantitative easing. Quantitative easing is simply printing money. Um, that's all it is. It's just simply printing money. Um, so the question arises, why was America and much of Europe able to print money and not suffer from hyperinflation in the way that many of the uh, smaller countries had? And the reason is particularly in America. America's first, it's got such a large established uh, economy. Um, it's not it's not so vulnerable to these things as the smaller economies. But the other reason is that America, or uh, all, all, all most, you know, international transactions are carried out in dollars. And um, America is desperate to retain the dollar as the preferred currency 
for buying oil and there's a lot of speculation that this is really why they invaded Iraq and um, you know many of the other wars that have gone on particularly like Libya uh, because these countries were talking about coming off uh, using the dollar as a way of buying buying oil and once that happens the state of the real value of the American currency starts to crumble and they wanted to avoid that you see Imagine this, imagine that you're, um, maybe not you, but somebody you know is a multimillionaire in a particular society. And let's imagine that um, they're so well known, they buy things, you know, using checks. Um, nobody outside of the US, I think, uses checks nowadays, but let's go back a bit. And they'd go into a shop and they'd buy things with their check. Now, the thing about their checks is, of course, they were signed. And these this person was so well known that uh, their, their signature was worth more than the check. So the um, shopkeepers, instead of cashing the check, would put it up and frame it, you know, and they'd be worth a lot of money because it's there. It's a sign that's got the signature of this person, like the signature of Picasso. And this is all going very well. So this person is now able to spend lots of money, maybe even money they don't have, because they know the checks are never, get, never going to get cashed. But then rumours start spreading that maybe they're not as financially solvent as they were, and maybe, you know, that signature isn't worth as much as you thought because there have been some, you know, things been made about their character and so on. So suddenly all these shopkeepers are desperate, you know, they take the, the, the checks down from the wall and they put them into the bank. So suddenly when this person's the most vulnerable, when they have least amount of money, the money's, the checks are coming in, they have to be cashed, and there probably isn't enough. America, in a way, is in the same position. They're buying lots of stuff from China and from um, Saudi and so on, and all these US dollars, half the US currency is outside of America, in the form, as it were, of checks which aren't being cashed. America can't afford to be in that situation where these countries suddenly start cashing in their un, their un, uh, you know, the debts that they have, taking their money, their money back to the bank, and as it were, wanting the gold because the gold doesn't exist. It's all fiat currency. Now, it's starting to happen. Of course, inflation is 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 taking place rapidly. And the way that countries traditionally have dealt with in, um, inflation and the collapse of a currency is by starting wars. You know, I said that during the, before, during the time of the Depression, um, Roosevelt's New Deal was enacted in order to get the currency moving. And, you know, it's been said that that's what um, uh, cured, that's what solved the problem of the Great Depression. It didn't. It's absolute rubbish. It, it would have it would have collapsed. It couldn't go on. What solved the problem of the Great Depression was the Second World War. It solved the economic problem in Germany, who was suffering from hyperinflation, from the West that was suffering from um, the Great Depression, and it served a purpose. Um, and all war wars serve a purpose. And the purpose of the Ukrainian war 
is to take people's minds off, um, you know, the, the fact that the councils are collapsing. Both in, in Russia, and the rest of Russia had the same problem. Their currency was collapsing, so it suited um, Putin, you know, to have a war. Um, now, the problem is, of course, that the Ukrainian war is really fairly localised. Uh, nobody's producing massive amounts of arms in the way they did in America and in Europe. You know, if you if you can distract the population with a war, you've got them working on the war effort so they can work for minimal wages because they all think they're doing a wonderful job. They can um, pay, you know, they're put up with hardships and all this because they're doing it for their country. So the Ukrainian war very much serves that purpose. Uh, but it doesn't have people working, you know, massive amounts in factories and so on. It, it really only serves, serves as an excuse for the inflation, for the shortages. Even in Australia, there's shortages and, you know, inflation not quite as bad as some other countries. And it's all attributed to the Ukrainian war, which doesn't make any sense at all, because we don't buy anything from, even oil, I don't think comes from Russia. But uh, it's good, it serves its, its purpose. But it's only going to serve a limited amount. Uh, the end, as it were, is nigh. The, the crashing of the economy is almost inevitable. And this is why the World Economic Forum is talking about a great reset. So this is the reset of the economy. Now, of course, many people would argue that the whole thing was orchestrated in order for them to bring about the Great Reset. So it's not that a reset, the Great Reset is um, uh, solving a problem um, in that sense. It's uh, solving a problem that they created in order to bring about the Great Reset. And the currency they're going to introduce would be an online currency. But don't think of this as being a cryptocurrency in the way that Bit Bitcoin is. It would be a government-controlled currency. Now, they do this in China, to a certain extent, with their credit system. And the government controls the credit. And if you're a reporter on a paper, and this is many reports about this, and you might write an article about corruption at government levels, you suddenly find that your credits are unusable. You go into a shop and they, they, they only take credits, you know, like credit card. And your credit card doesn't go through and you try and book a flight, it's not accepted you, and so on. You've been cut out of the system. And if the government has control of the money, they cut you out of the system. Um, and I've talked before about the propaganda to the extent that people are, are looking at censorship as being something wonderful. So when these... Uh, people get cut out of the system, even if it gets reported, and of course it doesn't, because there's nobody around to report it. You know, a lot of people say, well, good, it serves them right. You know, they weren't good um, good Americans or good Australians or whatever. Um, there's that attitude, and of course, until it hits them, then it turns different. And, uh, you know, you go to the petrol station and you, you know, you try and pay for your petrol with your credit card and it's not accepted because you've had your quota of um, hydrocarbons, you know, and that's it. Your credits have been used up and you can't buy something because the government decides that you can't, you can't have it. Um, they do this in China. If you buy to spend too much money on video games, you get cut off. Um, you know, you have to buy, buy things that the government approves of. 
Um, and, and as I say, if you criticise the government, you're cut off. Now, there'll always be a percentage of people who think this is wonderful, as I say, until it hits them. And then, you know, they, they suddenly realise what, uh, what they've embraced. for listening you can email me phil at graham.net you can look at my website philip with one l dot graham.net graham is b-r-a-h-a-m and if you send an email put podcast in the subject so it doesn't get lost thank you